to welcome you to day 14, chapter 14 of our look to the book of Genesis. And as we begin our look at chapter 14, we're going to meet a man by the name of Melchizedek in a, in a few moments. But before that, I want to talk about a man by the name of Lot. We haven't talked much about Lot. You, you notice that Abraham took Lot with him to the promised land. And you may have noticed that there was a sort of a behind the scenes thing going on there. God had said, I want you to go to the promised land. I want you to leave your household. I want to take just your family. And yet Abraham had taken his nephew Lot with him. Now, the Bible doesn't say much about what that meant when it first happens, but we learn a little bit more about it here in Genesis 14, verses 1. I want to read 1 to 2 and then skip down and read verses 11 and 12. At that time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kurdogamahar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, went to... By the way, these are great words to read, aren't they? These, this is the phrase, this is the verses that if you're in a Bible study class, you are terrified somebody's going to make you read these with all these incredible names. Let me just tell you, nobody knows what these names should sound like, so you just read them with confidence, and when you do that, people think you're a Bible scholar. So you got title king of Goam at the end of verse 1, and then in verse 2, they went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, king of Adma, and Shembar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. That's exciting verses, isn't it? So this is war is going on between all these kings that we can't ever repeat their names again and all these places we couldn't repeat their names again. But listen to what happens in verses 11 and 12. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. And they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Let me just say it this way. God let Abraham take Lot to the promised land. He allowed it. He told him not to, but he'd allowed it. And when he allowed it, when, when God allowed Lot to leave with Abraham towards the promised land, he didn't send a lightning bolt at the end of town and say, don't do this. He didn't, he didn't make them go back to the start button in order to make this whole thing work. He just let him. And Lot became one of Abraham's biggest headaches. And not just a headache in the end, but one of his devastating, devastating disappointments. Going to the promised land not only didn't help Abram, it also didn't help Lot. His life is going to be destroyed by what happens there. I don't know if you've noticed this, but God will often let you. He will often let you take a lot along with you. He'll let you do what you want to do. He could stop you, but he allows it. And when he allows it, we learn later why he said no in the first place. If you're like me, you've had to learn many, many times, and we'll have to learn many, many times again to trust God with this. Lord, help me to trust you right now with whatever lot I want to bring along in my life that you're saying no to. Because in this case, Lot has decided to live in the town of Sodom. We're going to see what happens with that later. Many of you, most of you are familiar with that story. And Lot, because he's living in that town, gets caught up in this war and he gets carried off. And so Abram has to go and protect him. How does, how does this happen? Listen to what happens in verse 13. Let me read verses 13 to 20. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and Anar, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. 
After Abram returned from defeating Kedlamar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything, gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. So Abram goes and he rescues his nephew. And in rescuing his nephew, he brings everything back, the women, all the goods that have been stolen, back to the kings who had been attacked. And in doing so, we meet this man by the name of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, a priest of the Most High God. The Bible tells us about Melchizedek a little bit more in the book of Hebrews. Have you noticed how often we've turned to Hebrews, by the way, as we've been walking through the book of Genesis? The book of Hebrews has a lot to say about Genesis because Hebrews was, was written to Jewish believers in the, uh, in the days of Jesus. And because it was written to Jewish believers, the explanation is given many times to show that Jesus had been promised from the very beginning. Now, Melchizedek is one of the ways that we're shown the promise of Jesus. Let me read for you Hebrews 7, 1 to 4. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God, of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings. Notice he doesn't name them in, in Hebrews. He just says the kings. And he blessed them. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, Hebrews tells us, his name means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. That's Hebrews 7, 1 to 4. Now, who was this guy, this, this Melchizedek? Some see him as a spiritual appearance of Jesus before he became a man. He was actually appearing somehow spiritually. Other people see him as an angel that came from God as a representative. Most likely, most people see him as a great man who isn't recorded in the genealogies, but who was recognized as a priest by Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to those who believe Jesus had to be of some priestly line, Remember, Jesus wasn't of a priestly line. He was of another line of the Jewish people. He was of the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi, the priestly line. He's saying Jesus wasn't of a priestly line. The writer of Hebrews says, oh, yes, he was. He is a priest on the order of Melchizedek. In fact, Melchizedek is not only a priest. He's told to us to be a priest in Genesis. He's a greater priest than all of them because Melchizedek precedes all of them, so he is greater. And not only that, Abraham, who is going to be the father of the priesthood line down the road, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He recognizes him by an offering as a priest. Now, these arguments may not make a lot of sense to us. They may not be, seem important to us, even if they do make sense. They were very important to a Jewish believer in that day because the line of priests was so important. And so here's Melchizedek, put right at the right place, right at the right time by God Almighty, so that when the writer of Hebrews was writing about Jesus, he could talk about Melchizedek. And Abraham receives a picture of Jesus who is going to come. Throughout his life, God's going to give to Abraham pictures of Jesus. And as you and I read the life of Abraham, we get to see those pictures too. Abraham saw the birth of the Messiah and the miraculous birth of his own son Isaac, that a promised birth was waited for and then it finally came. He saw Calvary, the cross, foreshadowed in the fact that he offered Isaac to God. We're going to see this later in the book of Genesis. 
And he sees here the priestly ministry of Melchizedek. And in that he could see the heavenly priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Jewish rabbis taught that Genesis 12.3 was a promise that Abraham saw as the promise of the Messiah's coming someday. And what God was going to do for the nations, it was going to be coming through a Messiah. And many taught that Genesis 15.8-21, which we're going to see some of tomorrow, was Abraham having a vision of the entire history of the nation of Israel, including the birth of the Messiah. God, whether he did that or not, is foreshadowing in the life of Abraham the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus is going to come into this world someday. God's plan for your salvation was established not just here when Melchizedek shows up on the scene. No, long time before that. It was established before the beginning of time. God did not desire for us to sin, but he knew that we would make that choice. So even before we made that choice, he planned to bring us back into relationship with himself. And you see that plan unfolding even in Genesis. You see that plan unfolding even in Melchizedek. God's plan for your life, for your salvation from before the beginning of time. That is a plan that we need to thank him for. Jesus, thank you. Although Melchizedek may not seem as important to us as a Jewish believer in Jesus' day, we recognize, we see that you've planned from the very beginning to meet the need of every person, to show every person the way back into relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And you answered the questions before they were even asked, the questions about priesthood and the questions about sacrifices that a Jewish believer might have had. You answered those questions. And Jesus, you answered my questions before I even had them, the questions about relationship, the questions about whether I'm really loved, the questions about whether someone really cares about me. You answered those on the cross, Jesus, by sacrificing your life for me. You answered those questions, Jesus, in your resurrection by raising from the dead for me and offering a new life to me. Jesus, thank you for that new life. Thank you that in ways that I don't even understand, you planned for my salvation, for the salvation of all who would turn to you before the beginning of time. Thank you that your plan never fails. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen.